0: How many of you wish you were a more obedient Christian? (laughs) We all would love to be more obedient, right? MacArthur states that one of the greatest displays of worship is our obedience. The way we worship our Father and it is most evident is by our Submission to Him and obedience to Him. We say in our obedience, You are our Father, and we want to honor You and do what You say. I believe this sermon series holds the key to a more obedient Christian life. So I want to briefly step back for a minute and kind of give you an overview of where we have come from and where we are going with this series. Ultimately, we are learning about our our identity in Christ as children of God. We will also focus then on in the future on the effects of our status as children of God, how children of God live in the world filled with billions of lost people led by the father, the devil. So how do we live an obedient life? I think it's all based on our understanding of our identity in Christ as children of God. So there are five main themes or theological concepts that are often associated with our identity as children of God. You see this in almost all the passages. They kind of interweave these five theological doctrines. I've found that they are often tied together in a passage to give a clearer picture of our identity as children of God. These doctrines are found repeatedly throughout the entire New Testament and especially in the epistles. The five theological concepts that are tied together under our identity in Christ are these. One, orphans. ...apart from God. Again, this is just another title for totally depraved sinners. It expresses our desperate state outside of Christ. Another title would be slaves of sin... ...or slaves of Satan. Obviously, this is also known as the doctrine of total depravity. In order for us to really understand... This doctrine that we are children of God, we must first understand who we were outside of God. That is, orphans apart from God. And that theme is shown throughout most of the passages. Second, the adopted children of God. It talks about that legal status as being becoming God's adopted children. Third, there's redeemed children of God. And we'll talk about redemption a little bit today. Fourth, there are heirs of God, the concept or doctrine that we are heirs of God or there's an inheritance. Do you understand that most of these passages tie together adoption with redemption with inheritance or heirs? Those three concepts especially are often seen in all the passages. And then finally, there is the doctrine of the spirit-sealed heirs of God, that is The Spirit's work in the children of God. All of these concepts, these doctrines are crucial for us to understand our identity in Christ as children of God. As we know these doctrines, they have a profound effect on how we live and whether we obey God. All of these tie together in almost all the passages we're going to go through. All five are mentioned, or at least a form of all five are referred to or implied and we see all five of these doctrines in Ephesians 1 3 through 14 as we read through it did you see them these were mentioned these are the spiritual blessings in heavenly place in Christ we will see these same five theological blessings repeated throughout most of the sermon series so I'm at times going to sound a little bit like a broken record (laughs) but it's interesting That if God repeats it so many times, then I guess he wants us to get this concept in our head, right? I think it also implies something. It implies that we aren't prone to remember who we are in Christ. That we're often prone to forget who we are in Christ. That we're prone to think of ourselves not as children of God, but instead all by ourselves here in this world. Trying to fend for ourselves. I'm convinced these themes presented together are like a character sketch of every true believer in Christ. This is who we are. As we understand these biblical doctrines, we will then know our calling and we will know our identity as children of God. If we understand our identity as children of God, what are we going to do? We're gonna be empowered to obey our Father. We're gonna look like children of God. Here's one of our problems that we have we often try to get people to obey God without a proper understanding of their identity as His children. You will not obey God as your Father if you do not know that He is what? Your Father. So we have to emphasize this. This is what Paul does throughout his letters. This is what John does in his letters. This is what Peter does in his letters. This is what the author of Hebrews does in his letters. He talks about these same five themes over and over. They do it. They repeat it over and over. It's as if we need to be reminded over and over, you are an adopted heir of God. The Bible makes it clear that our full understanding of our identity in Christ as children of God is the key to an abiding relationship with God. It is the key. If you are walking in doubt over whether you are a loved child of God, you will not glorify God, period. Did you hear me? If you are walking in doubt You will not please your Heavenly Father. Nothing you can do will please Him. We won't love the brethren either, will we? We won't love our brothers and sisters. Why? Because we won't be walking in that identity as children of God. And we will look more like the world than God's children. That's a fact. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. That is the Bible. That is the New Covenant relationship. I believe, listen to me closely, the enemy has one main agenda for every believer in Jesus. He has one main agenda. Make you doubt who you are in Christ. He wants you to doubt that you are a child of God. He wants you to question whether or not you are really loved by the Father. That's what he wants you to do. And he's attacking us in every direction as believers. And then, what happens? He makes us look like the world. If we're not thinking properly about who we are in Christ, that he is our father, that we are loved by him, we are adopted, and we we are heirs to the King. When we have that in our mind, we're going to obey him. But when we don't have that on our mind, and we're doubting that, we're not going to obey him. We're going to walk in guilt. And obedience is impossible. This is why Paul, speaking to the church in Ephesus, a church that's strong, he repeats these themes for three chapters. He spends all three chapters saying, you are. Are an heir of God. Praise your father. And then in Romans. Guess what he does. He does the same thing. What does Peter do. The same thing in first Peter. Inheritance. If you address God as your father. Live that way. All of these are the repeats. It's the same thing. If we think about it. One of the most obvious identity markers for all of us is our earthly fathers and our earthly parents, right? This is what the world identifies most of the time with. We grow up being someone's daughter or son, someone's brother or sister, someone's cousin or nephew or niece. Often, who we live with is who we identify with most, yes or no? Is that not true? You identify with who you live with. Okay. Now, this is so cool. Because throughout the book and throughout all the epistles, guess what he tells you to do? Live with God. Abide with him. Dwell with him. What's he trying to tell us? Stop. Stop identifying with the things that you have been told to by the world and start identifying with what? god who is your father and you are an heir think different you are no longer a child of satan you are now a child of god oh this is so good isn't it are you not as courageous i am I, this is it this is i've been like wow this is my whole dissertation folks this is what i've been studying for five years And it's all like exploding in my mind. Wow, this is great. This is what it's about. So the natural fallback for anybody in this world, the fallback identity for us is our identity as relatives of our physical families. Instead of God, what we do is we fall back. How many of you, you admit it, you've gotten really hurt. Somebody's treated you really bad. Who is the first one you call? Almost always we call somebody that was kind to us in our past. We often associate that with a mom or a dad that loved us or did something. We go to somebody that we can identify with that cares for us, right? This is what the world does. It never fails. When trials come, we go back to the ones we grew up with. We identify most with those unconditional relationships. You know, those ones that, even though they often treat us horribly, they still say, you're my son. <laughs> you're my cousin. I'm with you. We often do that, don't we? The problem is the Bible calls us to reorganize and reprioritize what we identify as and who we identify with. The Bible calls us to totally transform the way we think and to first call out to who? Our Father. Our Father, our loving Father. Not our earthly father, but our heavenly father. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Who does he address? Who does he tell the disciples to pray to? He says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What is the point? As kingdom citizens, as children of God, our natural and first and foremost phone call is who? Our father. But if you don't know him and you don't understand how much he loves you, guess what you're going to do? You're going to revert back to how you identified first. That's why I'm often concerned. I, I'm not your father. <laughs> don't call anybody father. I'm echoing what Jesus says. I'm not your father. Don't come to me first. First. Go to your heavenly Father. He loves you. How do I know? Ephesians 1 tells me. You are loved children of God, beloved. You need to understand this. It is my desire that the heavenly Father will be your first thought every day. And your last thought of that day. It is my desire that our Father will be your main thought every point of the day. That you will think about him always. He will be your hope. He will be the one you talk to. He will be the one you abide with. He will be the one you enjoy. He will be the one you work for. He will be the one you play and enjoy and delight with. I want you to know and trust the Heavenly Father. He is a good Father. So today, we continue our study of this identity as beloved children. The first week we saw our desperate state, we were spiritual orphans. We were dead in sin. We were led by the evil one. We were influenced by the wicked one. But God, right, made us alive. He made us his children. And second, last week we backed up into Ephesians 1 and we saw that the love of our Father in His predetermined plan to adopt us as children. Back in verses 1 through 5, we saw that the Father chose us each to be His children in Christ before the foundation of the world. We saw that the Father's aim was to make us holy and blameless children of God before Him. He wants us to be holy and blameless. Third, we saw that the Father's great love that moved him, moved him to predestine us to adoption as sons. So a summary of last week's message would be this. The Father loved us before the world began. So he predestined us to be his holy children through the work of his Son, Jesus Christ. That's that's good news, isn't it? You're loved. You are loved by God. Now, I do want to put one little caveat here. If you have not repented and believed in God, you're still back in chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. But the good news is, is if you will repent, that is, turn from your sin and embrace God, His Son that came to die for you, you too will be adopted children of God if you will believe. So let's pick back up here. Look in verse 5. It states, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Now, I don't have time to preach the, a whole book of Ephesians here, obviously. and we, As slow as I'm going, we might not ever get through this thing. <laughs> it's really going to turn into a 60-week study on, on it. It's only supposed to be 12 weeks, by the way. So I'm going to have to skip through things. We don't have to kind of fly through things. But here we see the basis of our father's choice of us. Why did he adopt us? His choice was out of the good pleasure out of the good pleasure of his own will. God adopted us according to his good pleasure. Our father took great joy in making us his children. Through his own son's death, burial, and resurrection. He was pleased to what? Crush him. Why was he pleased to crush his own son? Because he was pleased to make us his children through his son's death. He was pleased to make us his children. Now, this is shocking to us because we are prone to pick our friends by what they do for us. You hear me? Often, if we think about what God would do, we would think that God will pick me if I'm good. But God did not pick me because I am good. He picked me because of his good pleasure. He found joy in picking this wicked, wretched sinner. Can you believe it? How many of you take joy in making friends of your enemy? Oh, let's take it one more step. How many of you take joy in making sons and daughters of yourself those that hate you? How many of you would adopt somebody that will look at you in your face and spit in your face and say, I hate you? How many of you take joy in that? None of us. But God takes great, great pleasure in adopting sinners like me and you. Wow. This is, isn't this amazing? Next we see here the purpose of his choice. It says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely graciously gave to us in the beloved, in Christ Jesus, the loved one. is literally what that means. Again, I can't develop this completely, but here what we see is God chose to make us his children to demonstrate, to show the glory of his unmerited favor towards us. God did this to show the whole creation to glorify himself, to show he is a gracious father. Oh, folks, this is so important. Isn't it it just like us, though? The God we present to the world is often this mean and vindictive God. We don't present this kind of message. But God saves sinners like me and you. Why? Why? So that he could show that he was a gracious God. To demonstrate that he gives favor to people that don't deserve it. He adopted me and you to show that he is gracious. If we know this God folks. Do you understand if you know this God. Who will be the first one you go to? The grace giver. But if you don't know this father as your gracious father, then what you're going to do is you're going to go everywhere to get help except the one that gives grace. Oh, do you see why Paul says in Ephesians 1, 15 to the end, he says, I just want you to know the hope of your calling. I just want you to understand this full calling that's being described in 3 to 14. Because if you understand that, guess what you're going to do? You're going to walk according to the calling. You're going to look like the Father who graciously chose you. Adoption in our world, even adoption, when we adopt children in our world, it fails to fully reveal this kind of grace. It can show small glimpses, but not nearly the depth of God's grace in adopting us. Why does it fall short? Well, here let me let me tell you why adopting kids in this world falls short of the glorious grace of our God in adopting us into a spiritual family. In physical adoption, we don't know all. That will happen with a, a child we adopt. We don't know everything. When we adopt a child, we as parents are very limited in our knowledge of what we are bring, bringing into our life. We don't really get it. Folks, do you understand? Samuel's on the other side of the planet. And right now we're about to bring him into our house. And we really have no clue what's he like. We've gotten a couple videos, and most of the videos show him not smiling. But then again, I've heard in Asian culture, they don't smile for pictures. Even though the ladies that were taking care of him were smiling. (laughs) We could be adopting somebody that's what? Going to be totally angry and hate us. The rest of his life. Wow. But we we don't know that. We kind of are hoping what? He's going to see that love and he's just going to start loving us. We don't know the number of times they will reject our authority. Can you imagine? How many children would you adopt? If you saw all the times that they were going to disobey you and reject you, you could see every one of them. Every time they were going to get mad at you. And you could see the full depth of it. How many of you would sign up to adopt a child? Probably none of us. But God. God adopted us knowing full well how many times we would reject him. And he knew how much we would reject him after being born again, too. He adopted us knowing that despite the spirit indwelling our souls, we would still grieve the Holy Spirit numerous times in our lives. This is a loving father. A gracious father, more than we can imagine. We don't know our children's behavior, but he knew ours fully. And he still chose to adopt us as his children. There are, unfortunately, adoption horror stories, too. You know that, right? And and again, I'm not trying to convince anybody in the room, don't adopt children. I'm not trying to tell you that. but But I am telling you this, that there are stories out there that when you bring children out of an orphanage where they were not treated well, guess what happens? They hate their parents forever. There are Stories. It's, it's sad. It's very grieving of parents that literally send their children back or give them to DCF because they adopted this child, but the child, nah. you mistreated my other children. Not going to put up with that. Can you imagine? How many times have you been kind to your brothers and sisters in the Lord? How many times have you been unkind to your brothers and sisters in the Lord? Can you imagine? Choosing you. Knowing you. Would mistreat your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Why does he do this? He does it it for the glory of his grace. He chose us to be his children in order to show off his unmerited favor. Boy, that calls all of us in here to be a what? A little bit more compassionate and gracious to our brothers and sisters. Would you not agree? We have to understand this. So I don't have time to do the whole praise hymn, but I want you to look at verses 7 to 10 at at another key feature, and I told you it runs parallel here. We are the redeemed children of God. In verses 7 to 10 it states, In Him, Jesus, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of His will according to... His kind intention which he purposed in him. With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of time. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. Now, I can't go through all of that. But let me just make a couple points real quickly. We see here the next main blessing in Christ in this section is redemption. We have redemption. Redemption, like I said, was will be... Associated with adoption in other passages, as we go through, and it is part of our identity, the concept of redemption was a Roman legal concept. It is the metaphor he's using, and, and don't stretch the metaphor too far. He's allowing it to just sit there with some of the things that might not fit. How does redemption fit with having adopting a child if it's talking about slavery? Well, it just does. Because he's not afraid to use those metaphors and have them kind of lean, lean over on each other. But he's making a point here. It's used to describe the purchase of people out of slavery. MacArthur states this about redemption, the concept. He states, quote, During New Testament times, the Roman Empire had as many as six million slaves. And the buying and selling of them was a major business. If a person wanted to free a loved one or friend who was a slave, he could buy that slave for himself and then grant him freedom, testifying to the deliverance by a written certificate. Redemption was used to designate the freeing of a slave in that way. Now it fits now, doesn't it? Now think orphan. An orphan slave. What happens? We were purchased. We were purchased. But what happens when we were purchased as slaves? We were then freed. But why, what were we freed to be? We were freed to be heirs of God. Children of the king. Wow, what a glorious truth. What an amazing thought. We'll see this developed as we go through Galatians 4 and then in Romans 8. But I find it interesting that's sandwiched between the obvious adoption is this concept of redemption. And why does he seal, why does he put adoption, redemption, and inheritance together? I believe it's because all three together illustrate our changed relationship with God, our new identity with God, who we are. We go from lost slaves and orphans to what? Adopted heirs of the king. We go from slaves to heirs. We go from orphans to adopted children. We go from following the father of lies to following the father of righteousness because we've been redeemed. This is who we are, beloved. This is what God's word says you as a believer are. You are an heir, a redeemed heir of God. Whew. I believe it's because of all these three together it, we see a perfect picture of our change relationship. Redemption means that we have been set free from bondage to sin and Satan. By the way, you could, you could link very easily, and you see it in this passage, redeemed with being made alive and raised up. To be redeemed is to... Have two things happen. What are the two results in this passage? What are the two results of redemption? One, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. What are you forgiven of? Sin. What sin are you forgiven of? All sin. All sin. Every sin you've ever committed is already, ultimately, paid for by Christ and you are what? Forgiven. Past, present, and future. Every sin. Every sin. (laughs) Wow. Meditate on that. Every sin you ever committed and every sin you will ever commit has been paid for through redemption. Are you loved? I'm loved. (laughs) I'm so loved by God. Notice... Also, it's not only that we're forgiven, but we also were enlightened. We were forgiven and we were enlightened. That's that whole section. I'm not going to develop the whole thing, but it ultimately says, in wisdom and knowledge you have been made known, or you, he has made known to you the mystery of his will. And what is the mystery of his will? That Jesus Christ will be preeminent over all. That Jesus Christ is Lord over all. What do you know if you are a believer? Jesus Christ is what? Lord over (laughs) all. You know that. You understand that. Why do you know that? Because God redeemed us. He made us alive. We know that he is king. We know that he is our, we are co-heirs with him. We know that he is Lord. Every sin is paid for. And we know Christ. Next, I want you to notice. And we got to just fly on. Let's move on to the next blessing. It's found in verses 11 to 14. Look. Again, it starts with that in him, in the sphere of Christ. In Christ, in our union in him. In him, Jesus, also have, we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined. Same word used with Adoption predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that, that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Oh. Uh, there's, you could write a book on that that's a paragraph. You could write several books on the glory of this passage. Reveal the blessings that are in this passage. Just a couple of observations. Notice first, in Christ also we have obtained an Inheritance. That word inheritance is synonymous with the idea of being an heir of God. An heir with Christ. And inheritance is what? It's the idea of what we get from somebody else when they die is what we often think, right? When somebody dies, they give up their inheritance. They give the inheritance to the next in line. It can be translated here one of two ways. It can either be translated as we have been made an inheritance or we have obtained an inheritance. So which one is it? Well, I I think, I've gone back and forth over the years, I lean more now to we have obtained an inheritance. But either way, both are true. Because the fact of the matter is, in Scripture, throughout Scripture, we're both God's Inheritance we saw that where in Psalm sixteen that we read today, but we also what obtain an inheritance, which by the way is who him he is our inheritance. oh, you don't you're like, what I'll explain we were given an inheritance in Christ again. In Christ, we have obtained this inheritance. We are co-heirs with Christ. Beloved, I don't think we can come close to even comprehending the fullness of what this means for us to be given an inheritance from God. We are so worldly-minded, we have really no idea how worldly-minded we are. We, we are so focused on what the world tells you is a good inheritance that you don't even know what a good inheritance is you, are you listening I'm going to say that again listen closely you hear me listen close we are so worldly minded that we don't realize what a good inheritance really is we think a good inheritance is what getting rich right that ain't a good inheritance. That's a lousy inheritance. That's a horrible inheritance in comparison to the inheritance that we're going to get. We think even if if one of my relatives dies and they give me just a little bit of money and I can pay my bills and buy a new TV, that's a great inheritance. I want a TV a little bigger. <laughs> Foolishness. Friends, we need to think bigger. Your best life is not now, as we've said. Beloved, do you understand all things? Not some things. All things are going to be placed under Jesus' feet. All things. That is, every single household, every city block, every city council, every state government, every federal national government, every star in the sky... Every galaxy in the universe are going to be put under his feet. That is his inheritance. Everything is his. And everything is being put under his feet. And he is going to share that with his children. We should just stop and just think on that for a couple of years. Can you tell me you're not loved? Do you not want to praise God? I want to praise Him, don't you? We've got to quit thinking so small. <laughs> If we understand where we are going and what we are promised, nothing we face will steal our joy. Nothing. It doesn't matter what you do to me. I don't care. I'm an heir to the king. No, I'm not saying there won't be grief. There'll be grief. But the grief will not be self-centered grief. It will be grief over the souls that don't get to enjoy God. That's a bigger difference. That's a difference. See, we will grieve, but we will grieve with what? Hope. We have hope. This is not our home. Jesus is going to win. He is king, and he's going to share his glory with us. No more pain. No more sin. Praise God. No more Satan. No more evil. No more death. No more tears. No more sickness. Joy inexpressible and full of glory. Always unlimited, perfectly, all the time, never going away. Perfect joy forever and ever and ever. Give me Jesus. How about you? That's enough. That's all I want. I don't care. Take everything I have. I don't care. Christ is what I want. That's how Paul was thinking. That's why no matter if he's in jail or whatever, he still what? Rejoices in the Lord always. Is this not amazing? I don't think like this all the time. Do you? It's that dry, dingy doctrine that we're preaching here at Grace Bible Church of Tampa. That's what people tell us. It's so dry. You're just teaching this doctrine. These doctrines are why I live. And they're why you live, too. you understand that angels worship God night and day all the time? And they're not going, Hey, God, can I have a little break to watch a little TV? <laughs> hey, hey, so you, you know, I saw that Pokemon Go game. Can I play it a little bit? <laughs> what? I don't want to be a Pokestop. stop. <laughs> That will show up again. (laughs) I want to be a Jesus stop. I want to be the place that can't wait to be with Christ. I want to be the place where Jesus is so much about my life that it doesn't matter what happens around the world, I just walk around in total, utter awe of his glory. That's what I want. How about you? If the best we hope for in this, in this world is a house and a two-car garage and 2.5 kids and a spouse that loves us, guess what? This world is enough. Because as a whole, the world can, might be able to give you some of that. But beloved, that is not... That is not where our hope is. This speaks to every single person. This speaks to every child. This speaks to every married couple. This speaks to every person that is divorced. It speaks to every single person in this room. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroy. Where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If our treasure is what the world has to offer, then our hearts will always be worldly. And we will never be satisfied because this world does not offer satisfaction. It doesn't. It's fruitless. It dies. Everybody in this room will die. Your loved ones will die. Even the closest people you have will die. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. John said it this way, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Wow. Truth, right? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. But it is from the world. The world is passing away. And also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. But if our hope is in our inheritance in Christ. Then everything we do will be to promote and exalt our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we will be about in everything. Why do we go to our job? To exalt Christ. Why do we love our spouse? To exalt Christ. Why do we take care of our kids? To exalt Christ. Why do we buy a house? To exalt Christ. Why do we have a vehicle? To exalt Christ. All those things. Are only a vehicle for us to what? Exalt Christ. (laughs) To make much of Jesus Christ. That's all we're about. Because our treasure is not here. Our treasure is in heaven. With Christ. Are y'all enjoying? Can you tell I'm enjoying if I could just put this in my head and just play it over and over and over again. Second, we began to enjoy our new identity when we believed in the gospel. It says it, in him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ, of your salvation, having also believed. When we heard the message of truth, when we heard the the heard and embraced the good news of Jesus, what he did for us, that he died for us, that he rose from the dead, that he's victoriously reigning in heaven, and one day he's coming back for us, when we heard that and we embraced that, that's when we became heirs of the king. We were promised an inheritance. When we hear the message of Jesus Christ and really understood and believed, we were saved we were redeemed, we were delivered, we were adopted, we were guaranteed an inheritance. You know, I think sometimes we don't really value this message as much as we should. I think evidence of this is we value so many other things way more than we should. Isn't that true? We value everything but what really matters what we think about, what we talk about, what we meditate on, what we share with others, what we exalt, if it's our Father's love in Christ, if that's what it is, then we really get the gospel. If not, our main goal is probably the treasures of this world. Brothers and sisters, Do you understand that heaven is heaven because we are with God? Do you understand that in John 14 when Jesus was about to depart and he tells him, what does he tell him? He says, do not let your heart be troubled. I'm going to give you a new car and a nice house. And it's going to be really good because you're going to be rich. He did not say that, did he? And then people say, He's going to give you a mansion. I don't even think that's the main point of that passage. I heard a professor once say that. It's all about a place. It ain't about a place. Listen to these words. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Okay, you can call it mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. Oh, it is about a place. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Yeah, read the whole section and leave off the punchline. So that where I am, you may be also. That's the point. We get to be with God. God. Without these sinful bodies. We get to worship him unhindered and unfettered by sin. We get to do what we were made to do, which is what? Worship him and enjoy him forever. I can't wait. How about you? Jesus is not your greatest joy. Listen to me closely. Listen closely, beloved if Jesus is not your greatest joy and your greatest delight, you don't want to go to heaven. Why? Because he's all that at heaven. It's all about him in heaven. And there is nobody up in heaven saying, what about me? me you know no <laughs> we get to be with God and that's all we want right that's our inheritance our identity in Christ is secure too and let me tell you why I know listen to me y'all are gonna this is uh, I'm, not, I'm out of time but you gotta hear this this is so important and we'll close with this point. And then I'll pick it up and then I'll kind of launch into the second half of the book. Now listen closely. you got to listen, okay? I said, what is our inheritance? Our inheritance is who? Christ is God, right? It's fully seeing and enjoying God. Right? Our inheritance is, our heaven is knowing and enjoying God fully. Right? So what did God do? Do you have eternal life now? How do we know? Yes, the Bible tells me to. So. But you know what God did? You know what God did? He gave us a down payment on heaven. He gives every believer himself. We Who are God's children have a glimpse of heaven now. That's what the second, that last section's about. The Spirit literally takes up His dwelling inside the believer's heart and His life. We have God abiding. In us through the person of the Holy Spirit. So, beloved, if you're having a hard time being satisfied with God in this world, is it possible that you would not be satisfied in heaven too? How many of you have grumbled this week? Complained? Anybody will brave enough to raise your hand? I want to give you some good news. We have a God in heaven that loves us. He sent his son to die for us. So that we can be heirs with his son and we could be indwelt with God himself repent turn to him cry out to God your father and he will remind you just who you are his loved children let's pray father you are uh, beyond our comprehension your word is it's deeper than the deepest ocean vaster than the galaxies above father I am so very very thankful that you have adopted us as your children. You made heirs out of orphans and promised us an inheritance with your Son that we can enjoy the glory of God forever and ever and ever. We worship you, Father. I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know that joy, doesn't know that love, I pray, Holy Spirit, do what you do. Convict of sin, judgment, and righteousness. Show them that you are their only hope. Help them, Father, to find their satisfaction in you. We love you. We thank you that we belong to you.